But I need to make sure that we all start knowing where Revelation is, 8 is located in the storyline that I've been doing, okay? So remember, I've been saying this since we got to Revelation 4 and 5, that that is the future, that's the that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be of Revelation is Revelation 4 and 5, and that's the throne room with Jesus, the Lord, receiving praise, everybody singing continually all the time, and 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 living in that spot where everything is centered around Jesus at the throne and the glassy sea and all that. Everything after Revelation 5 is an appendice of how you get there. So you know what an appendice is. It's like the, it's the back of the book that explains the stuff and, but you didn't really need it. Matter of fact, in case, just in case you're doing this, I, I forgot to read this in the first service, but here it is. This is from one of the commentaries that I like. Everything in the revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. There isn't any new details here. The revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject. So what does that mean? There's salvation, the whole plan is complete in Jesus. As we get ready today, I need to make sure we know where we're at in the storyline. So at Revelation 4 and 5 is Jesus center stage, and then it starts to tell how all the world gets to a spot where Jesus is center stage. Revelation 6 then is Jesus starts to open the seals of the deed of the universe, or the world, if you will, and a quarter of the world has essentially, as Ted said in the first service, one of his bottom five days, or their bottom five days, of their life. Have any of you ever had a bottom five day in your life? It's like the worst possible thing and, and, and it's just a bottom five. Have you ever had a bottom five? You've never had a worse day. You've never had a day where you felt like you would bargain with God just to get out of it. Where you say, God, if you just make this stop, I'll do. And then you list whatever it is you think is enough. That's a bottom five day, isn't it? Now, some of you may have had bottom five days that are worse than other people's bottom five days, where you thought, this is going to end me. Jesus is center stage. Revelation 6 is, is, is he's clicking off these seals. A quarter of the world's population is having bottom five days. In succession, one after the other. Revelation 7 then, after Revelation 6, when just before Jesus opens the seventh seal, which he's going to do in our text today, Jesus goes and, and God goes through and seals his people. That's where, that's where we're at. So a quarter of the world has, has, has had bottom five days and God didn't bring bottom five days in there just to punish them. What he was doing was trying to bring them to repentance, to give up the things going on in their lives that they think were more important than God that don't provide salvation, joy, or anything. They might be happiness for a moment, but they're not. 
Now, the people that know Jesus in this case, the next chapter are sealed, which is God's got your back. That's where we're at. That's where we're going. Now, we're going to, as soon as this happens, you're going to start to see the next spot, but that's where we're at. The throne room, Jesus is center stage. How does he get there? Well, God starts to try to bring the world to repentance. Let's read from Revelation 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Just want to stop there for a second. It's one of my major points of this whole part. There's two things I need you to get out of this text today, and that is God is listening. He's not like... That person you were talking, you were sharing a prayer request with one time, or you were asking them a question of faith, and while you were talking, they were formulating their response and not listening. That's not what God's doing. The silence in heaven, this whole structure of this verse is around prayers, and you're going to see this. There's silence in heaven that the prayers of the saints are heard. There was silence for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. When, when that trumpet sound, when the trump sounds, I want to be found in Jesus' name. We sung that today in Cornerstone. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. When the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down on the earth, the thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was an earthquake. The earth moved when the prayers of the saints came back to earth. Two things I need to talk about today. I want, I need to do this in such a way. I'm going to tell you what the two things are and then I'm going to spend some time on it. The first one is the power of prayer. Prayer, prayer does two things in our lives, but the first thing is the power of prayer. And the second thing is, is our need to keep Jesus center stage. First, the power of prayer. So you might be praying and thinking God isn't listening. And one of the things you might experience very much is when you pray, you just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and, and you're talking to God all the time. But, but sometimes we don't stop praying verbally long enough to hear God respond. Have you noticed that? That sometimes we don't just sit there and meditate and listen for the response. We just keep giving him input. Have you ever given God input? Has he taken it yet? (laughs) He's going to do it the right way. But the power, there is power in the prayer. That is what's going on here is is right in the center of, of, of the silence in heaven is the focus on prayer and the saints of the prayer who are under the altar in Revelation 6 saying, how long, O Lord? And he says, until the time is right. That's how long. Keep praying. Keep doing that. And so prayers go up and they're mixed. And when they come back, thunder lightning, and the earth moves. 
So this is what I'm talking about. There's a story from Augustine's Confessions. How many, have any of you read Augustine's Confessions? I, I expect a couple of you have. But Augustine was a bishop of Hippo in the third century. And he wrote a spiritual autobiography, if you will. Kind of started a trend. A lot of people have done that. But, but before he came to know Christ, he specifically was the source of a number of prayers from his mother. Matter of fact, the bishop that his, that ran the church where his mother was at would say that she was in there every day weeping and crying for the salvation of her son. And it went on year after year after year. Have any of you ever prayed for somebody for long and it just keeps going and you don't always have prayer and, or you don't always have an answer, but you've got prayer and you keep doing it. You just keep on praying. That's the Jesus thing. Keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on praying. And keep on. Let me share with you the words from the, his Augustine's mother's priest. Dear woman, don't you know that no person that it, that it has that kind of prayer lifted for them is not sought by God. No child of such tears is left unsought. When your prayers go up, this is the first aspect of prayer. When your prayers go up and they mix and they come back to heaven, they have power. Now, you might not understand how that power works or whether or not that power works in the way that you ask for it to happen. But as you ask, as you keep on asking, as you keep on asking God to work, he's working. And the earth moves and shakes, and thunder crashes, and lightning flashes. And that's the way prayers work. Is They they don't work when they're not offered up. For some reason, when you're not actually praying, your prayers are not working. Let me just clear that up. When you're not praying, your prayers are not working. But when you are praying, they work from behind the scenes in a way that's different. And we'll talk about this. This is about how God works in the world. This is fundamental to Christian faith, is to understand that God is at work and he's asked us to join him in that work, not so that he can do it to us or at us, but with us. With us, God is working with you. And that even works in the witnessing experience or the conversation experience where you're out in the world and somebody asks you a question of faith or they ask you about your life. They go, wow, something's different in you. And this is what that means. God has invited you in to the conversation that the Holy Spirit is always, ever, forever with each and every individual having all the time. Now, I can't emphasize that enough. The Holy Spirit is always in conversation with every individual on earth. That does not mean that that person is listening very well, but the conversation is going on. Now, when God asks or invites you in to that conversation, I want you to understand that you have no idea where in the conversation you've entered. You don't. And after you say your little bit, 
you will be invited summarily out of the conversation. And you'll have no idea what's going to happen in that conversation after that point. And you really don't have any idea what God wanted you in the conversation for. So with all those things that you don't know, like how God's shaping the conversation and where God will take the conversation and, and, and where and why God wanted you in that conversation, I want you to know that you can just go ahead and be free to talk. God's got your back. He sealed you and he's done this work. But here's the thing. You might be in the conversation to make an idiot out of yourself (laughs) or to blow it and then ask forgiveness for blowing it. You might have been offered into the conversation to be really cool facts giver boy boy or girl. I doubt it. (laughs) But that's my experience is that I've almost never been invited into those conversations to be the Bible answer man. God's not actually looking for that. He's looking for you to live your life and to share your life in the conversation in the way that he knows you're already going to do it and you can't mess it up. But he wants to do it with you. And the effect that happens in the life that you're speaking into is a conversation that the Holy Spirit is having with you and them, with, not at, not on, not in the direction of. You've all had conversations where somebody was talking in your general direction or you were talking to somebody in that general direction, but they were in the vicinity and not listening. That's not what God's doing. God is interacting with you in this way. That's what what one um, commentator on the book of Revelation calls reversed thunder. We pray and it comes back in reverse thunder. Now, the second part of prayer happens differently. The the essence of this is a thought um, from C.S. Lewis's book, um, A Grief Observed. Has anybody in here read A Grief Observed? It's um, there's there's a couple of you. C.S. Lewis was was late to get married in life, and he fell in love late in life, and married her just before she was dying of cancer. Now, cancer is horrible. The treatments are better now than they were at that time. But he wrote in his diary, essentially, how he was feeling during his grief of losing his wife. That's the book, A Grief Observed. This is what he says about why he prays to God. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. So you might be praying for somebody over there. I might be praying for you. And I'm hoping for God to work in your life. But that prayer begins to change me. What do you mean, Pastor Dave? When I pray for somebody, I get changed? Well, let me ask you this question. If we pray for... um, 
somebody on the other side of town and we're praying for them pretty constantly, pretty soon your heart is going to be turned towards them in such a way that if you were to ever meet them, you would be more open to them than you would be if you hadn't been praying for them for five months. Your heart is changed. Or let's say somebody is really bothering you and you're mad at them a lot. Maybe you've got that neighbor that keeps annoying you and you really wish there was another property right on that line between the two of you so that you didn't have a property line with somebody. I know that there are people like this in the world and that we might be those people too. (laughs) But if you begin to pray for their good and their blessing, instead of being frustrated with them all the time, your heart will change towards them. If you pray for the person that's annoying you, it will change your heart towards them. That's the thing about prayer that I needed to say today. Now, the second thing, keeping Jesus front and center, center stage, Jesus. Who's in charge? Jesus. What's the best Sunday school answer in the world? Jesus. Jesus, just keep saying Jesus, right? No, you keep your eyes locked on Jesus, but how do you keep your eyes locked on Jesus when a quarter of the world is having its one of its bottom five days, day after day? What if, what if you're having a bottom five day? How do you keep Jesus center stage instead of what's going on in your little turbulent spot? Faith. Yes. Well, we do that because we know Jesus. But what about the world that doesn't know Jesus is having, as the book of Revelation said in chapter 6, it's bottom five days for five months. And in chapter 8 and beyond, just next to us, a third of the world. So that's more. And now we know that these bad days, as it was specifically said at the end of chapter 6, the whole hope was that they would change their ways and put Jesus center stage. But if they don't know Jesus, they really only have two options. For in the middle of your bottom five days, when you're stressed out and you're having a bottom five day, day, I just want you to recognize for a second that if you take off your faith shoes for a second and put on their shoes without faith, There's really only two responses. You could turn to Jesus and finally get him center stage, or you could rail at Jesus, or as Revelation 6 says, crawl into a cave and ask the mountain to fall on you because you're not changing no how, no way. Those are really the two options. How do you keep Jesus center stage when a third of the world around you is railing against God? Well, first off, he sealed you and he's got you. Second, I need you to understand that there isn't any promise in the Bible that you won't have bottom five days. The promise in the Bible is, Lo, I am with you always. The promise isn't, Lo, I'm with you always and all of them will feel like Disneyland. (laughs) That is not the promise. The promise is literally that, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil because you are with me. So, so when you run into the person that says, well, I came to faith, how come my life isn't better? You can say, your life is better. Somebody's got your back. What would you do if that person didn't have your back? What if Jesus didn't have your back? Would life be better in those bottom five days? Turn your eyes upon Jesus because you're going to have a bottom five day. And remember, a bottom five day will teach you what you actually think about Jesus. Because if you start bargaining with him, then you think he's kind of like a pop machine and you can put some quarters in there and get whatever you want out of him. But why doesn't bargaining with Jesus work? Because he's not interested in a contract. He's not interested in a performance-oriented contract. He's interested in a relationship with you, and that is not a contract. Matter of fact, the performance-oriented contract thing kind of gets in the way, and it has to be changed. You're going to go through it. The people around you are going to go through it. It's not necessarily punishment for punishment's sake. Some of you may be going through something that is trying to get you to repent. Now, I'm not saying specifically that the illness you're going through or the struggle you're going through is there to cause you to repent. You're on earth and you're wearing hip waders and some of it's going to get in the top. And sometimes the hip waders aren't going to be tall enough for the water you're in, and then the whole things are going to get in there, and then the hip waders, which you thought were a protection for you, are going to weigh more, and they're going to drag you down. It's at that moment that I say to you, as the song we sang this morning, turn your eyes to Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. need to make sure I've said everything here. I think I have. There's one thing I want you to recognize as I throw these numbers out and we start to think about numbers in Revelation. Remember that it's a fraction, right? That if a quarter of the earth is having its worst possible day or a third of the earth, I need you to understand that's not everybody. That is mercy. It's not everybody. You might find yourself in that quarter or third. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you're in there and you don't know how to do that, find somebody whose eyes are fixed on Jesus and ask them about it. They can make the introduction. But you don't necessarily need them to make the introduction. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Those are my two things. Remember, prayer changes. It's effective. It's being listened to, and it comes back in ways you didn't know. And two, keep Jesus center stage. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the book. I thank you that there's nothing new to talk about as far as our salvation that it's been fully revealed. May we see it with fresh eyes and a new mind.
In your glorious, precious name, amen.